person's willingness to take action is, in my opinion, one of the most essential characteristics of success. But how do we really define taking action? Well, simply put, it's something that a person can do and are doing to make changes happen in their lives. You walk, talk, eat, drink. Each and every one of these actions will bring some kind of change to your body. But they can even affect your family, your friends, or everything else that relates to you in that particular situation. So how does this relate back to success? Well, what if you're starting a business or even just thinking about what career path to choose and pursue? Every action we take that directly affects that choice, well, it's making a stepping stone and getting you just a tad bit closer to that end goal, whatever it might be. Oftentimes, I found myself stuck at a stage of inspiration. Hell, I found myself stuck with the idea of a podcast for months, procrastinating day by day as the idea sat in my head and I never acted on it. We all have our down days, but ever so often we come across something, be it a book, a video, the support of a loved one, or maybe it's even a story that sparks this relentless enthusiasm, this interest to act, to take off, to make that next stepping stone for yourself. All these things have the power to inspire action. You relate to the hardships others face, the obstacles they overcome, the greatness they prove is possible. That's why I think it's time we dive deep into someone else's story, which hopefully leaves you with a fire inside, a fire to turn inspiration into action. Welcome to the Think Train. Yeah, I'm super happy with how things have come out. And I'm, I'm at the stage now where it's sort of like, when, you're, when you work too close to something, you forget how magical it is. You know, like, I have access to the stadium, and I'm there a couple times the week, which is not... That's not someone's regular job, you know? I take people for tours, and they're like, oh, this is the club level, this is sweets, and it's just like, it is so nice to be around something that I'm passionate about, but is something so exciting to sell. That voice you're hearing is James Hutton, the current account manager at Forge FC Hamilton. See, James didn't always know he'd make a career out of his passion for soccer. So what got him there? I wanted to dig deep into James's time at McMaster because I feel oftentimes it's where you get a glimpse of what it is you really want to do out of school. See, I asked what the most influential part of his four years was, and well, he answered with Mars. I'll let him explain exactly what that was. Mars is a marketing case-based program that puts you in a pressure cooker for six cases. And if you give all you can to it, it will improve you in every way that matters to business. So for me, when I came out of it, I was a better presenter. I was better at schmoozing. I was a more confident person. I knew how to ask the right questions. Um, there wasn't anything out of, I knew myself better even. You know, I knew how to read others better. Um, there wasn't anything that wasn't improved upon when you're when you come out of this program um and it was really based on experiential learning getting real companies to come in hand teams a case let them sell themselves to this case for a week present it at the end get a whole bunch of feedback and then you do it again and as long as that kind of 
pressure and this yearning to be better or be curious was there, you were going to be a much more curious, employable, coachable individual, which for me, uh, someone who wasn't involved with any internship programs, this seemed pretty good to me. And you could win win internships coming out of it. And I was excited by that. I was was gunning for one. didn't work out in the end, but it was it was something that was competitive. It had a goal attached to it. If I didn't hit the goal, then I was still going to come up with a bunch of learnings. And um, it's a pretty incredible program that I wish was introduced to me sooner. I was on the only Mars team to not win a competitive boardroom, and this program has been running for I think thirteen or fourteen years now, which is interesting. We we won the first boardroom, which was a pre-challenge and we killed it like it was not i think looking back it wasn't a contest um and we felt really good about it uh we got great feedback about it and we thought okay you know what we i think when we started it as a team we said you know let's our goal is to win two boardrooms and if we can do that then we're in a good position and uh the first real boardroom or the second boardroom came along and we lost on a tie-breaking vote i think it was like five to four kind of thing um but we still looked good and then we kept going through this case and there were three teams in my year and we consistently finished second and it was always because our research was really strong there was three people on the team including myself that were really good at kind of getting the insights and asking the right questions and that always kept us in it, but we never were able to just kind of close the deal. So by the time we got to that last boardroom, we couldn't actually win the competition. For us, it was, what do we want to do differently? So we're making sure we're getting everything out of this uh, case. So I think I presented in a different slot than I normally did, and we all experimented and um, felt that what we had lost, which sucked, and and, and you're still in the competition. You know, it's yeah. like you're running a race that you know you're not going to win. You're, you know, you know, you know you're going to finish third or whatever it was going to be, mm-hmm. um, which just sucked. Um, but we, we tried different things, and we went into it making sure we were still going to give a quality presentation. Yeah. I think by the end of Mars itself, though, it was um, <clears throat> beyond the team uh, that you were just interested in in two i had tried to figure out how to network my way into different companies and ask the right questions and go for, you know go for lunches with important people at the time one of which was you know john royal yeah. um and figure out you know what's my next step because suddenly when the competition ended i was also graduating and i didn't have a job mm-hmm. you know so it was like okay how am i making sure that i can try and get one of these internships or at the very least you know wiggle my way into something else so taking it from the end of Mars yeah. to you're now graduating. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Fuck. Um, I guess this was the only part of my life I was like, when there was a, a, a shift in my life, this was the only time I was like, oh, I'm not really, no, I don't know if I'm ready. Or maybe I did know I was ready. But when Mars wrapped up, I was, uh, I think, pretty close to getting an internship. And I didn't get it. And 
I knew. Pr- yeah, so I uh, was trying to get in with Canadian Tire Financial, actually the same place John Royal works. And when and I, you know, I had this mindset going in. I invited a couple of friends to the banquet, invited my family to the banquet, and they had been to the boardrooms, of course. So this was like this nice culmination. Everyone was going to be there, and if I got it, that would be like the cherry on top, and life was good. And we walked in, and we see the seating arrangements, and I'm seated at the Sears table. And I'm like, oh, oh, I, I guess that's it. And I think I remember turning around to see who was at the Canadian Tire table and also seeing my family. And I tried to give them an early indication that it wasn't yeah. it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. But I had also interviewed well with Sears. And I thought, well, maybe I'm getting Sears as you know, the next best thing. And I didn't get Sears. And it was just like, uh... And everyone's celebrating and you're clapping for everyone. And like everyone who got an internship that year absolutely deserved it um but like it was a very powerful moment because suddenly it was like i don't think i had my hopes up but i think i was told before i was ready that i wasn't going to get it and i remember i think one of our uh, coaches came up to us and said hey how you doing i'm like i'm okay he's like no i know it sucks and i like i still remember the music that was playing because of like how vivid it was um you can hear imagine dragons playing in the background nice. and uh and i and i kind of walked around the room and i same actually same thing with bampton i guess i shook hands with everyone i need to shake hands with thank them for volunteering and getting involved talk to the sponsors talk to everyone who need to be congratulated who got who was who was done and then uh i think my parents drove me home to res in which case I had a quick beer and then went home and just was like, I'm not interested in talking to anybody. I want to just be emotional and alone right now. Yeah. Um, and then the next day I was outside Malik's office and it was just like, how am I going to get a job now? And I didn't, I don't think I realized how many people Malik knew, which is everybody. But um, Malik, I think really, had seen the effort I had put in in the program and the standard that I tried to live up to. But again, he was helped setting for us. Yeah. And he thought, you know what? James is someone we can, I can try and get interviews for. So from Mars and not being really prepared to not have a job, it was suddenly like, okay, what, what the hell do I do? So I had a job at the city of Toronto, which was just admin work, um, but well-paying admin work. And every day I would just kind of go in, I'd blast through the stuff I need to do, and then I would send out resumes. And I did that until about August, mm-hmm. in which I got a job that Malik helped make a connection with. So, okay. yeah. So where was that? Yeah, so that was with uh, S.C. Johnson. It was an old student of his that they had an opening for kind of a data analyst slash salesperson on split between two of their largest teams. Uh, and I didn't really realize that at the time or how I think big the role was. And uh, they had interviewed for it before and they hadn't found anyone they liked. And I went in, I think, with two other candidates. And after the first interview, I was kind of one of the more leading candidates. And then the second interview was with the directors and we went through all these sales examples, which was cool. And I think 
I'd like to think it made a difference where they pulled the sell me this pen example, yeah. uh, which I hadn't actually really gone through before, but I'd gone through different sales examples and like role playing in class. And I legitimately kind of like leaned forward in my seat and I was like, oh, cool. Like, can I ask questions about the pen? Like, what do I, like, what do I get to know about the pen? Because I'm excited to do this. And I think we role play for like five minutes and they were like, yeah, that's enough. And I got the job um, a week later, which is outstanding. Amazing company. It's private and they do a really good job of like taking care of their employees. And uh, I ended up working as this sort of salesperson data analyst on the Walmart team, which was their biggest account, and then the Loblaws team, which was the second biggest account, which was crazy. It was like this eye-opening, tons yes, of experience. Yeah, I think after three months, they shifted around the company, and I was taken off the Loblaws account and just put on Walmart. But I was on that account for two and a half years. After a little while, they let me handle... Amazon and well.ca, which was smaller accounts and very early going. So I got my feet wet of going in and seeing the clients and leading my own side of the business and working with my own budget. Yeah. And I did that for two and a half years. It was a, a great company to work for. Since the experience was so good, what was it that made you want to leave? There were, I think there were a couple elements. One was the company was going through a lot of changes. Uh, on my team in particular, there were, you know, there's five key sales individuals, two of which that had a lot of seniority uh, had left. And it looked like there could have been more coming. And I was like, you know what, this is, I've been here for two and a half years. I've done some great work and had good experiences here. This is my time to kind of move on. I didn't really know what that was, but I was, I felt like I was perhaps more in a rush than I needed to be. Um, I had been doing the sales and the analytics stuff. I said, you know, I want to try doing this marketing thing. And I was applying for marketing jobs, but I didn't really have that much of a chance in getting them. I think there was a lot more talent out there gunning for those roles that had experiences more relevant than the sales experience I had. Mm -hmm. um, and you can only go back so far and say, look at the great marketing work I did in school because that's, yeah. you know, I wasn't getting any interviews for marketing roles. And I thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to go to a company, a kind of a middle-of-the-road company to help me bridge the gap, in which case I applied for a job with AC Nielsen, which does okay. uh, analytics. And they were – they're massive. They are this incredible na multinational organization that – does ratings for TV and broadcasts, but also has a pretty firm hold on the consumer packaged goods and retail world. Um, and this was this, it was a company that had a reputation where if you were there and you worked hard, you would get promoted quickly. And if you did a really good job, then you could kind of go wherever. You had this great analytical base and you had a sales background because you were talking to all these buyers or whatever it may be with your analytics that you could move on to sales if you wanted to, or you could move on to marketing if you want to. I said, okay, I'm gonna to go to AC Nielsen, I'm gonna kill it, and then I'm gonna go off and I'm gonna be happy in my marketing role. And it was this, I was I was going there to kind of bridge the gap. That was the plan. So I applied, 
Uh, did very well in the interviews because all the analytics was stuff I had worked on, bef- you know, before yeah. in the same role. And I got the job pretty quick because the role happened to be on the Walmart team, which is where I was spending all my time. So they knew I was already aligned to how Walmart operated and their vision and what made sense. And uh, I was hired there in, I think, January or February. And I went through six months and I said I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and I, I left, I didn't have a plan or not much of one. Um, but it was like, I kind of walked down a path and by the time I hit Nielsen and living and breathing analytics, I knew I, I didn't want to do that for another couple of years as this middle of the road, road thing to get over to what I actually wanted to do. I just wanted to do what I actually wanted to do. And I was still figuring out what that was. So that was a tough thing for me because, you know, it was a quick transition from Massey Johnson to AC Nielsen because they hired me pretty quick. Mm. But uh, it was more of a slower process trying to figure out what the role after AC Nielsen was going to be. So when was it exactly that you started to realize you wanted to be so heavily invested in soccer that you wanted to build up your career around that? So I'm a big soccer guy and... uh, I loved being around the sport, and I've been to you know games in Seattle and Mexico City, um, in Europe. Like it's just anytime I travel, I have to see at least one soccer game, um, and it's just what I kind of obsess over. So when I was at SC Johnson, there was a, um, a site called Waking the Red, uh, which is falls under SB Nation. Mm-hmm. So SB Nation is a rather large media blog site where I think a lot of really keen writers can get a start uh, and write as many articles as they want for free and I think it kind of runs off a lot of passionate people who want to just direct their energy somewhere and I happen to be one of them so it was really based for Toronto FC but I didn't really like Toronto FC that much but I wrote a lot about Canada uh, and the national team and development and a whole bunch of things and that was my first real crack beyond playing soccer or being around soccer that I felt I was contributing to the world or the industry in some way. Mm-hmm. And that, like it was a cool thing because, you know, you knew people were, you know, reading your articles. And I always found like a lot of my articles did really well for driving comments. And that was something that was validating. Um, and I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is a cool thing. And then, um, you know, the Pan Am Games came to Hamilton when I was at SC Johnson. Um, all the soccer games were held at the stadium at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton, and I saw about 12 games. And every day I would get home from work, and I would be so excited. I would ride my bike for half an hour to go down to the stadium. I'd watch a game. I'd ride my bike back, and I would do it the next night, and the next night, and the next night, and the next night. And it was awesome. Yeah. And I was just so enthralled with the sport. And when I hit Nielsen, I felt like there were a couple of those opportunities, not opportunities, but situations that felt like they were knocking on the door of this is what you should be around. Um, And uh, when I left AC Nielsen, it was like, it was kind of a clear decision that I wanted to figure out how to be in that world even though I didn't really know what to do. So you know what you want to pursue. 
you know that this is something where you feel like you can make an impact. What was the moment that made you pull the trigger? You still had the fear of not knowing how to get there. So what made you move on that idea? I, I distinctly remember as I had to commute uh, into Mississauga, I would listen to all these podcasts. And there was a particular podcast called Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People. And there's uh, a comedian, kind of an underground comedian, who hosts the show, and he sits by a phone, and people will call him, and he records the show. The person can hang up at any point in time, but he can't. But after an hour, uh, it'll automatically hang up. So someone can call in, talk about whatever they want, uh, it could be about how hard their life has been. It could be to tell stories or jokes. And there was this particular podcast that came up. And it was, a, it was his first ever live show that he was doing. And someone called in. And they chit-chatted for 15 minutes. And they were kind of feeling each other out. And it found out that the girl was Canadian. And... Uh, she had been listening to the show for a little while and she was excited to be on and it found out she was working with camps and art schools before and she had started her own camp uh, for a summer job and it was something she kind of wanted to pursue in the art field and she again along the side would do these magazines for art and volunteer here and there and she wanted to start a more grander, larger... I, th I think it was a camp for kids. Get them involved with art. And her problem was she was really, really disappointed because she had just been told that she didn't get a job at the city she lived in. And this job wasn't going to be anything special, but it was going to be good income that she's got a that she had a background for and she was expecting to get it and she was so excited because for you know she thought okay if I work at this for two years I'm gonna have enough money to do what I actually want and she was so heartbroken and she was almost on the verge of crying and there's this really powerful story and the host of the show kept kind of pushing her throughout it saying you know I don't really get this why are you disappointed you got a job that sounded like it was a middle-of-the-road job um, you know, if it's just an income thing, like, surely you'll be able to find a different way. Why aren't you just doing what you actually want to do? And she's like, oh, no, you know, I need to get some money. I can't take the jump just yet and this and that. And the host gets away from it a little bit and says, okay, well, I'll tell you what, where are you from? Tell me more about yourself. You know, I assume you're from, like, Toronto or something. And she's like, no, I'm not from Toronto. The host was confused, like, well, clearly you don't like Toronto. She's like, oh, well, I'm from somewhere near Toronto, and people from where I'm from don't like people from Toronto. I'm like, oh, okay. And it keeps going and going. Turns out the girl's from Hamilton, and she had started this kids' camp to help kids get involved with art. She had this great multimedia background that she didn't get the job at the city. And by the end of the podcast, they had dissected everything enough that she said, you know what, fuck it. I am just going to go start this camp or whatever the end goal was. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do it. I don't need this validation of the income. I've got a good support system. I can go do this. And the big thing that they talked about it on or talked about the project was 
why are you doing anything that's not related to your end goal? Why would you spend any time not working on that? Because if you throw yourself into it, if it doesn't work out, and you've set your timeline of how long it makes sense for, at least you know that you've tried and that you had a go and you legitimately put everything you could into it. Yeah. And it was kind of a really powerful thought. You know, why, why delay this kind of, why do, you, why do you need a stepping stone to get where you need to be? Can you just create it? Yeah. And they had convinced her and she had believed it and that she could create her own stepping stone. And then the call kind of ended with her saying, yep, go do your thing. But I was, you know, I'm sitting at work at AC Nielsen thinking, Christ, this is my situation. I'm in this middle-of-the-road job. She's from Hamilton, you know. What am I What am I doing? And I think within a week, that's kind of when I decided it was time um, because I was then sold on that idea as well, for better or worse. Yeah. And when I moved on from it, I didn't really have a plan, but I knew there was this Canadian soccer league coming called the Canadian Premier League, and Hamilton was going to be the city that got a team. And uh, I didn't really know how I wanted to be involved with it, but I was fortunate enough from my wise saving that I had a runway. You know, I had time to experiment with whatever I wanted to do and just get involved and, you know, do whatever... I wanted to, to A, find my end goal, and B, make sure I'm doing everything to achieve it. And it was a really hard thing when I quit, because I told my parents, and they were like, like, you don't have a job, like, why are you quitting? Can't you just keep doing this until you find something else? And I said, yeah, I could, but this is just what I need to do right now. And I think they kind of, like, quasi-believed it. Um, I remember telling my girlfriend at the time who I had just started dating she was like yeah fuck it go for it that sounds great I was like okay (laughs) that's you're a keeper Um, and uh, it took a while but over the next little while I kind of developed a fan group for this team and just got people together who wanted to support it so I was starting to create this community and then I went out and got my coaching licenses so I can now I'm a certified rep coach you know if I ever want to walk down that path. I started volunteering at the uh, stadium downtown because there's a program where kids in the lower income parts of Hamilton can register for free to play soccer and it's run by volunteer coaches. So I volunteered for that. And as I'm doing all these things and throwing myself in and, and some of it was uncharted territory because no one had started a fan group for a team that didn't exist in a league that had not been announced before. But it was also, you know, I was starting to appear at all these kind of soccer things. And the Ticats gave me a call and said, hey, we heard about what you're doing because you've been on these podcasts and you've been writing these articles and you've been doing this work. The team is coming. Stay excited. You know, we're a resource for you. Let us know what, you know, what's going on. So, okay, cool. Well, like this is, well, the Ticats are calling me. This is the coolest thing ever. Uh, and then, you know, shortly after I set up a pub night, so all the, all the people that I had met on my kind of little soccer journey got to meet them who, you know, again, just got to tell them the same thing. We don't have timelines for you, but this league is coming. The team is coming. We're excited you're here. Keep growing. And that was validation for me. And it was like, okay, well, what can I keep doing? So now I'm running the social media, building a website, MailChimp, 
merchandise for this fan group. And uh, <clears throat> the group is called the Barton Street Battalion. Uh, and I kind of got to apply my marketing knowledge to it and figure out the branding for it itself and the merch and what have you. And I ordered 50 scarves at $12 a piece. So whatever that works out to. Mm. On my own dime, thinking, let's see how many I, I can sell. And they sold in four days. Wow. And I thought, oh, shit. So I ordered another, I think, 100 scarves. Yeah. And I started to sell these throughout the community. And suddenly, you know, I'd be going to like a Bulldogs game and someone would be wearing them. I don't know how the hell they got them. But it was just suddenly it was like, oh, my God, I'm actually creating some sort of presence, yeah. presence and identity within the city, something that hadn't existed before. And I did that for two years or so. Money was like, oh, I should probably start finding another job. By this point, you know, I had done my volunteering, I'd done my coaching licenses. I was now on the board of directors for the Hamilton Soccer Association. So effectively any club within Hamilton, Brantford, Paris uh, fell under the board's jurisdiction that I was on. Yeah. So that was another cool thing. I was in a volunteer position I was involved in. And then I started doing marketing sponsorship and social media for a soccer club in Aaron Mills, which is actually pretty, it was a pretty big club um, in terms of the youth soccer world and yeah. had produced some uh, big Toronto FC player and now Montreal Impact player, but he's played for Canada. It was just a cool thing. So yeah. I was there for eight months. As that's happened, that whole story has kind of taken place from 2016 all the way into 2018. And the Thai Cats are staying in touch. They're inviting me out to the odd game and they're talking to me about the branding and how would we run this and how we would run that. It was myself and this one individual who kind of looked after the soccer side of things for a team that didn't exist and he was a great champion for me uh, just in terms of wetting my feet and getting my opinions out there and uh, you know we would sit down every month every other month and just talk about what was next for timelines because he was connected to the league and the team and what everything was coming and suddenly the league was going to be announced in May and he gave me a call and he said hey you should probably be on social media around this time because you're going to want to be tweeting about all of this. And the league was announced in May. Um, and then from there, they were picking where the teams were going to be, what cities. And Hamilton, we had known, was going to be a lock for a long time. Bob Young, who owns the Ticats, has been pushing the soccer agenda in the city, along with a few others, for quite a long time. And they said, hey, well, you know, we need to figure out the team name and that kind of identity, we're doing focus groups. Do you want to be a part of the focus group? Do you want to invite some people to the focus groups? Yeah, that's cool. So I can't remember what month that was, but I think they ran two, one for soccer admin and board and directors and people who had been around the game for a long time yeah. working in the game. And then they invited me on for the fan side of things. Um, and there was probably about... 12-ish people in each group yeah. and I was one of the of course one of the more vocal ones and I'm sitting there in my you know the shirts and scarves and hat that I you know I produced myself yeah. and had sold and, and I think by this point we had sold over 300 scarves or 400 oh. scarves which again was cool and yeah, you, you run the numbers and you're like holy shit that's you know a scarf every third day like who the, you know ah, I'm doing something right yeah 
anyway, really enjoyed the branding and getting involved with that side of things. Their VP, the Ticats VP of marketing was present, called me aside and said, hey, I think we should talk a little bit more. And we talked further about the branding away from the focus group. And uh, they kind of started to build things out. And I had, you know, a small role to play in all of that. Um, but they had said, and, and I was still working at Aaron Mills at this time, they said, you know, we've got these roles coming up. What, what do you think would make sense for you if you're interested? And I looked at the roles that were available and what I would have the ability to affect. And uh, the club at this point had made their first hire. The club hadn't been announced, but they announced their senior director of business operations. And uh, I got a sat chance to sit down with him for coffee. And he wasn't a big soccer guy, but awesome business experience in retail and building stadiums. And he was just this this really clever man that had done all these kind of entrepreneurial projects. And this was just the next project he knew nothing about, but he could dive into it and, and do some good work. Yeah. So I became a bit of a resource for him within Hamilton Soccer. And uh, I went for an interview on the sales side of things uh, and got it, which was a super cathartic moment. Every time I had done something well or I did an event and you know f- you know a hundred people showed up or whatever it was my girlfriend who's super supportive would always go oh this is so cool this is you know this is amazing look at the stuff you do and I'm just kind of like that's oh, cool but like <laughs> it's not amounting to anything yet you know and this was like the first real validation of this path I had taken that it took two years or whatever it was that I had made my own stepping stone um, and found the end goal of uh, I shouldn't say the end goal because there's always a future goal. But the the goal of getting into the industry and being around what I want to be around and actually signing the contract. Like, it, it, as I think of all the moments in my life that really resonate with me, I, I will always remember the table, the time, where I kind of signed the contract. Uh, my boss had sent it through electronically and my computer supports you know pdf editing and i think i sent it back within two minutes kind of thing um and it was just like okay i can celebrate now hearing james's story made me and hopefully you come to an amazing realization it isn't about waiting for the perfect time to jump into whatever it is you're trying to pursue. There is never going to be a perfect time. There will always be a reason for you to sit back and wait because that's what's comfortable. You don't want to lose that. But when you take a chance and you jump head first, fully committed to what it is you're trying to achieve, you effectively create your own stepping stone and you're gaining so much more than just what you're comfortable with. In this case, James took a leap, not knowing where that leap would bring him, but with work ethic, passion, and most importantly, action, James got to the exact spot he was hoping to get to. Instead of waiting for that stepping stone, I hope this story gives you a reason to go out and make it yourself. This was your host, Alex Kowalczyk. And you were listening to The Think Train.